Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, how big of a down payment should you be making to lower your interest cost? We talk about that and more. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. You've had a, a lot going on here financially yourself. You've had dog in the vet and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. How are you feeling, my friend? Oh, my God. I am thinking that I should change the way I talk to people about financial planning who have pets because that is a financial time bomb waiting to happen. It really is. And it's like a, the scariest thing about having a pet, not necessarily the financial impact, but kind of what's going to happen when it goes wrong as it inevitably does. And having pets is such a, a joy for so many people, but it's a real tough spot, both in terms of what it does to your finances and then just your life as you're dealing with it. So yeah, it sounds like you had a decent outcome at least. It was good. Now, now my PSA to everyone, my dog had some lumps appear that looked concerning. I won't go into all the details, but it was advised that they be removed. The quote that I got from my normal vet was astronomically high. Astronomically high to the point where I was like, do we even do this or we just let, you know, let it be? If I did not have a friend who went through the same thing, I would have probably just taken her there and had them do it. He said that his vet did the same thing for like a quarter of the price and had a great experience with them. Sure enough, I take my dog there. They recommend they be removed, quote me a quarter of the price. It's a great experience. But I don't know how many people are really rate shopping like they're veterinarians, but that's a pretty huge difference. So if you're faced with something something like that, I recommend getting multiple opinions. Yeah. I mean, if it's something super urgent, obviously you lose a little bit of that that opportunity, right? If it's something that needs to be treated immediately. But if it's something that can be treated over the next days or weeks, I think that's really good advice to go out and, and shop for that. We're glad Blue's doing all right. She'll continue to bark in the back of our podcast for many years to come. She's been wearing a cone for a few weeks. And while you might feel bad for her, I think she is excited to have this weapon on her. She uses it like a bulldozer. She'll just go ramming into things and it's just a real menace in the house. It, it's almost funny if it weren't so disruptive. It's like you got your dog a helmet and now she's learned she can ram stuff with it. Yeah, she's like a linebacker now. Well, while we're going to worry about your house, housing is the thing that we're going to be talking about today. We got two questions that didn't make it into last week's mailbag because I thought that they were related and just a topic that could be a little bit bigger where we could talk about the mortgage market, the housing market, and what's going on. This is a, a topic that you and I get into pretty frequently, I think for good reason. One, I think it is highly interesting to a lot of people that either are making real estate decisions. I will put myself in that boat and... I also think it's the biggest asset that so many people have. So let's talk about it because there's been a lot that has changed in the mortgage market. Let's start with one of the first emails we got on this. This comes to us from Kevin. So I had to unpack this just a little bit, but he says, I can't find a mortgage calculator that will do what I'm thinking of doing. I'm getting ready to buy a house and was wondering if you would know 
which would help me save the most money? It seems that all the interest on a mortgage is at the beginning of the loan. So looking at the interest, would it be better to put 50% down and only borrow 50% of what you need or to put 20% down and then on that next payment, like right as you buy the house, pay down the other 30%, in turn, essentially skipping those first years of interest? Or am I not thinking about this correctly? Thank you. Love the show. So Dan, I think you and I, when we read this, we both had some instincts of how this worked. And then we both had to check ourselves to make sure that we actually understood it. And I I think that's funny because as much as we talk about this type of stuff, I was like, wait, do I know what happens if you make that big lump sum payment right after taking out a mortgage? Turns out we were correct. But do you want to go through kind of how you view this? Yeah. And and I'm going to try to find a good way to do that because it's always hard to talk math on a audio format. So hopefully we're not putting everyone to sleep while we're doing this. Get the whiteboard out, Dan. Show some people things. Yeah. I think the basic answer is that in either scenario that he described, you're ending up in the same place. So when you make either a down payment or a lump sum payment after the loan is taken out, the remainder interest is calculated similarly. They're looking at what is left on the principal, and then they're applying the interest rate to that principal balance. So whether that happens upfront or later, you're not really changing the amount of interest that you're paying. So you're winding up in a very similar spot. Now, what does change if you decide to apply it to a down payment or make an extra payment later is your required monthly payment. So if at the time of the loan, you take out a 30-year mortgage and you put 50% down, your monthly payment for those 30 years are going to be much lower than if you only put 20% down and made another payment later. So if you made a payment after the loan is out, you're still required to make that higher payment and you're just going to pay that loan off earlier than you otherwise would have because of the extra principal. All right. So there's two things that I, I think are important to address here. When you make a large payment against a mortgage, you could be doing so for one of two reasons. Now, maybe you're just trying to pay it down and pay less interest, but ultimately it's going to have one of two effects depending on how you do it. If you take out the mortgage and you just send the mortgage company a big principal payment, you're going to lower the balance and you are going to bring the end date of your mortgage way closer to you. You're not actually going to lower your payment, right? So you're going to send them a huge check and you're going to mean that's going to mean that you're going to pay the same monthly payment you've been paying and you're going to bring the ending of that mortgage way closer. If you do what's called recasting the loan, when you recast a mortgage, they basically go in, they say, we're going to apply your payment. There might be a small fee for that. And they are going to redo the amortization schedule so that your loan still ends on the same date. That is going to lower your payment. And so I tried to do a math example of this. And we've got a calculator. We're going to include a link to this. This is not our tool. We found it online. It says it is for personal use only. We're going to respect that. I think we are personally using it. and We are allowing others to do so. But this is an amortization schedule. And so the way that I I illustrated this math, just using a round number, $500,000 mortgage, interest rate of 7%, because that's the world we're living in these days, and a normal 30-year term. With that, you're going to have a monthly payment of $33.26.51. If in that first year, or really that first payment period, I make an extra $100,000 payment. So I bring the principal down 
to basically $399,590 cuz it's including part of that first payment as well. I'm going to pay off the loan way sooner. 209 months. So that's like 17 and a half years. So what I've really done is I've taken almost 13 years off of the mortgage, but I still make that same payment which is 33.26 and 51 cents. Over that same time frame, I'm going to save a ton of money in interest because I've borrowed a hundred grand less. So my interest over the course of that loan would be 293,274. The same way to think about this, this would be the equivalent of taking out a $400,000 loan on a 17 and a half year term, right? That would be the equivalent of what you've just done. If you're trying to keep that payment and then lower the balance, you're going to kind of change that term. The alternative here of kind of what he's asking, and I realize he's talking about 50% down, not just 100 grand, but I'm just trying to keep the numbers round. You could take out a $400,000 loan over the same 30 years, and your payment is going to be 2661 Much lower payment because you've borrowed less money. If you wanted to recreate that same situation we were just talking about, you could go back and make the original payment. You could go back and make that $3,300 a month payment and you will effectively have done the same thing over the course of 17 and a half years and pay it off at that same speed. So it's very, very, I hope that makes sense. But basically it doesn't matter. It's kind of what do you want to control for? Are you trying to control your payment and keep that payment consistent or lower? Or are you trying to just pay the least in total interest over the life of the loan? Because even though stretching that loan further is going to be more in total interest, it's going to be over many more years. And so the time value of that money is less because you're going to pay you know a bunch of that additional interest off over the course of 30 years, not 17 and a half. So this is kind of like the difference between do you get a 15-year mortgage or a 30 is really kind of what we're talking about here. Where my preference, Dan, and I think yours is too, is normally to take the lower payment so that you've got more flexibility. And then if you've got extra cash flow, just make the higher payment towards it if you want. Yeah, I'm always in favor of more flexibility because you never know what's going to change over 30 years. Maybe there's going to be a period where I really appreciate being able to make a lower payment and have always have the luxury of paying more if I'm able to. So Ross, you were talking a little bit about the total interest paid on that 30-year loan. And academically, everybody knows how much you save in interest when you make extra payments towards your mortgage. Just as an example, in the scenario that you ran where you were taking a $500,000 loan at 7% for 30 years, the total interest in that mortgage would be almost $700,000 over the life of that loan, the total interest paid. Just by making an extra $100,000, either as a down payment or in the first month of the loan, whenever you choose to do that, you save over $400,000 of interest over the life of that loan. Those numbers are crazy when you see them spelled out like that. I mean, yeah. And that, that is why people get the 15-year the mortgage. That is the sales pitch, right? Is you go, look at all this money you're going to spend in interest. Why would you do that? Go ahead and keep that money in your pocket. And to an extent, I, I agree. So yeah, a $500,000 loan, 15-year mortgage, total interest paid, 309000 rounding. When you take it out to 30 years, you go to exactly as you said, almost seven hundred thousand. But the difference in the payment thirty three twenty six on the thirty year versus 
44.91 on the 15 year. So going with a 30 year and making that same $4500 a month payment, you effectively get to the same place. That's why our math works here. Now, again, on a 15 year, you're normally going to get a slightly lowered interest rate. So it's not complete apples to apples. You are paying a little bit more in interest for that privilege if you want to do what we're saying. But Dan and I are both business owners. We think like business owners. We think about flexibility. We build flexibility into our financial plans. For people that have steady Eddie, W-2, salaried, never going to falter, not worried about it, just every day the check is there on time sort of jobs, okay, cool, right? But I think we put that premium on flexibility, both because it's how we live our lives and we, we prize it as a result of that, and in doing this type of work for as many years as we've been doing it, just how many people have gone through situations they didn't expect, job changes they didn't expect, having to repay 401k loans they didn't expect, right? Like we, we've just seen all of those situations come up where that flexibility would have gone, oh yeah, that would have been really valuable here. Anyway, so we found this calculator. I won't take all the credit. A mortgage buddy of mine sent it my way, and it sounds exactly like what our listener is looking for. We'll put it in the show notes. And the great thing there is there's a column that allows you to put an additional payment in at any point in the loan that you're looking at. So hopefully this is a help to you. All right. So this is a similar question. This comes to us from Brian. He said, I found your podcast. One of you guys was a guest on Motley Fool podcast. I think it was probably either of us. We've both done that. And he's working his way through the catalog. We we appreciate that, Brian. That that terrifies me. God bless you. I, I really I'm like really confident in like what I recorded today. Like I I when I'm like, what did I do a year ago? I have no idea. It could be total nonsense. I hope I said something valuable. So we hope you're getting something from that. Anyway, so Brian says uh, he and his wife live in Tampa, planning to move to Colorado Springs. They're gonna net about two hundred and fifty thousand from the sale of their Tampa home. And the initial plan was to use the entire amount as a down payment, which would be a big down payment against the new home, to keep their monthly payment at about what they're currently paying. Now, they're currently in a low interest rate loan. They're going to be moving to a higher interest rate loan. What that's going to allow them to do is keep their buyer, the financial independence retire early savings plan. They're saving all of the wife's income, living off Brian's income. The question is, should I put the funds from my home sale in to purchase the new home and keep that monthly payment low, maintaining their savings rate and that fire goal? Or should you put down only 20%, putting the rest into a high-yield savings account and use that to offset the cost of the high monthly payment? Side question, is there a calculator that I run the numbers myself? All right, Dan, what do you think? I think when we were talking about this pre-show, we came to possibly different solutions here. But when I read this question, my gut instinct was, yeah, put the proceeds from your old home into the new one, keep your payment low. And from the question, they're doing a great job saving. So they're still able to capture all of that cash flow going into their savings plans because they have a predictable mortgage payment. Their cash flow is consistent from one property to the next, and they kind of keep on the same track they've been going down. I'll add, especially with interest rates where they are, because if you're looking at a 7% mortgage, you know, a high yield savings account might be north of four and maybe five if you're putting into it a high yield money market account. So you're still not able to recoup that full interest difference just by investing conservatively. You'd really need to go for something a little more aggressive to, to overcome that 7% hurdle. Yeah. So I think about it through a couple things. 
first of all, in general, I agree with you, right? That plan works. That is a sensible plan. You keep your payment in a way that you're going to still be able to save what you want to be able to save. Sounds like he's already done the work that he's on track and knows what that savings target number is. So in theory, that works, right? That That is already a functional plan. The wrinkle that I will throw in is that interest rates are not permanent. And simply that we could be in a lower rate environment two to three years from now. I'm not predicting that. I'm not suggesting that that is like the only path. You know, making a prediction like that is a quick way to look super dumb. And I just told you that I'm scared of what I said 50 episodes ago. Who knows? I I don't want to sound dumb when it comes back out that I had no idea where interest rates were going. Because the reality is I don't. But I do think that we could see them drop. And so this is a more aggressive tactic. What you could do here is take out the smaller loan, put your 20% down, choose to just kind of battle that high interest rate for a couple of years and see what happens. If interest rates get back down to five, you refinance, you get into some cheaper debt, you feel really good about having the larger mortgage at less expensive rates and more money that you can kind of float into the market. If not, you can always make that payment. You can either recast the loan and lower the payment in the future, as we just said. So you could lower that payment when you make a big chunk against it. You would want to talk to your mortgage agent and make sure that there's language in your loan that allows it to be recast. Not every single one of them does. Many do. So you would just want to talk to your current mortgage agent about that. Or you could make that big down payment and bring the end of your loan much closer. So that, that's kind of why I wanted to tackle these two questions together, because they're, they're very related in that manner of what you do with that second lump sum down the road could really affect you. So if interest rates don't drop where you think they're going to, if that's your view, you could just make that payment and either recast or shorten your loan length by a lot in the next couple of years. I think there was some data that came out that, and again, I'm biased here. I am not currently a homeowner. I've been looking with great frustration at this market at both the super low inventory levels at where interest rates have gone and what a payment you know would have bought me a year or two ago versus what it does now. So I, I am personally frustrated by this. I am not wishing for the value of all of your homes to, to drop like a rock, but it would help me personally if they happen to, or at least in this little pocket that I live in. It's not going to happen. But just so you all understand my bias... So I am, as quietly as I can, sort of rooting that we see some downdraft in home prices or at least some additional supply on the market. And some data came out on Twitter, on Instagram. I've seen it in several places that this has been published from uh, the sources quoted as all the rooms that a bunch of markets are seeing aggressive drops in their Airbnb revenues. So some of these markets, Phoenix, Austin, Myrtle Beach, San Antonio, Asheville, North Carolina, Nashville, Denver, Breckenridge, New Orleans, all between 47 and 37% drops in what people are getting from their Airbnb revenue. Do you view that, that that could be pushing some homes back on the market that people don't currently want to sit on if they're not as profitable as they they expected? I I think that's definitely where this could head. So just putting myself in the shoes of someone who a year or two ago got real excited about investing in Airbnbs because they heard everyone was doing a great job and raking in money. You buy a property, you don't business plan or, or you know, troubleshoot all the things that could go wrong with it. 
And now all of a sudden your cash flow has dropped almost 50%. You're carrying mortgages that are higher than they were years ago and still have all the maintenance expenses that come with the property. And you might be in a very tight spot if you're not willing to dump personal cash back into the business to keep this, this house going. So, you know, you're either going to bleed money and hold on to the property. I guess you could find long-term tenants if you want to, if you're lucky enough, but usually you're collecting much less in that scenario than you would be with higher short-term rental rates, or you sell the property and cut your losses and move on. Um, there's some charts showing the supply of Airbnbs in certain markets versus listings for sale. And it looks like literally people were just snapping up homes and converting them to short-term rentals. Like they're inverse graphs with each other. So we could be seeing floods of properties, especially in this, uh, in these tourist destination markets, you know, in the next year or two, as people really start feeling that pain. Yeah. I mean, anytime people start talking about an asset class, like what a dummy, why don't you just do this? That's a red flag for me. That's a red flag when it was crypto. That's a red flag when it was rental real estate. And I, I realize I've been a bit of a perma bear here. I, I've talked about this market for a long time publicly as I don't think it's as easy as people make it sound. I watch some of the stuff on like flipping rentals on that comes across on social media and it just looks like the scariest nonsense to me. And I'm sure somebody's doing it and making money and I'm willing to be the dumb guy that sat on the sidelines for a lot of it. But this is what tends to happen when there's a market that is looking so easy that everybody wants to do it. And what I suspect happened a little bit here is really all of the COVID and work from home stuff led people to be nomadic in what they were doing. So they had wherever they lived and then they just kind of went around the world. They could go anywhere. You could live in these markets for a month, two months, do your job before any of the rules kind of really kicked in where employers realized like, oh my God, now we're employing people in all these states. We're going to have to pay taxes in all these states, right? They may just not have known early. Huge influx of demand on the Airbnb side. Then you look at super cheap capital, right? Really low interest rates, flooding money into the system, both in terms of cheap access to capital and then all of the stimulus payments. That drives a lot of demand and every home was being snapped up, right? And yeah, so, so I can see that pattern that eventually some of the air is going to come back out of that if people aren't traveling the way that they were, if that was not a consistent travel experience and it wasn't a consistent view of what the demand was really going to be. Even with all this trouble on the horizon, people still approach me all the time telling me they're going to get into real estate investing to do short-term rentals. I beg you, if, if you're thinking of doing that, here's what you should do. Go on to the Airbnb website and look for rentals in the market that you're planning to buy in. See how soon you can get something. Because the one I looked at, the people were looking in a particular area, I hopped on and I could rent anywhere I wanted today, this weekend. There was availability across the board. For comparable houses, look at what the rates are. Look at the quality of house versus the quality of house you're going to put together. So if you're expecting that you're going to be 80% occupied every month or 50% occupied, but you can get literally a room anywhere you want this weekend, I doubt that you're going to have the occupancy you're looking for and your plan better work with really grim circumstances. Yeah. It just comes down to be conservative with your planning, right? I mean, sure. Let's look at best case scenario or let's look at optimistic scenarios and then let's look at really pessimistic ones where you're showing the occupancy being way less than you expect because it is going to be a cyclical thing, especially if you're in 
a luxury market or just generally not a necessity, right? When when people are tight otherwise, the thing that they're going to cut back on is money they don't have to spend. That is going to be where where people pinch pennies. Uh, and so, you know, be careful not to be that first thing they cut out. Ironically, in the opposite end of the luxury market, you know, in the low-income housing, I feel like there are lots of opportunities, but people tend to shy away from those because they don't seem as exciting or glamorous. There's no question. And then there's a lot more kind of red tape if you're dealing with things like Section 8 and, and getting approved for that. But you and I just sat through a presentation of somebody that that was doing a lot of business in that market. And that, yeah, it, if it, it's all about where you have edge, right? I mean, that that's the, what we're really talking about is... If you're just going to pile in and please excuse the term, be the dumb money, right? There's a high probability that this doesn't go well. But if you're looking at an opportunity and you see something other people don't, then I think there can still be money made almost anywhere, right? It's just a matter of figuring out what is my actual edge in this or am I just crowding the trade like, like a bunch of other people are doing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate the questions. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Dan, did you put up, uh, I think we've got an Instagram now, and we put up a photo of our proposed swag. I'm curious if anybody's got any feedback on it. I've been talking about this for a while. I, I wanted to go reusable shopping bag. I love the ones that I use. My county charges for plastic or paper bags. I think we've gotten rid of plastic bags, and they charge us for paper now. So I'm, I'm like a reusable bag guy. Good I don't know if that, if that connects with anybody else. So, so take a look at our Instagram. It's at check your balances on Instagram and let us know what you think. Awesome. Give us a follow and we look forward to catching up with all you lovely listeners next week. 